Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey guys, welcome back. It is episode 31 of the Believe in Padres Prospects podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. That's right, you didn't hear Wade. That means Wade is out. Wade's busy this week. So I did a phone call with my good friend Dustin, who's my resident expert on all things LA Dodgers. He and I go back uh, all the way back to college. We were roommates for a couple years. And... It's good talking to him. Got a lot of insight from him on a Dodgers fan's perspective from the Betts deal. Um, some of the other deals that were involved over the last week. Talking Dodgers long-term outlook. Talking a little bit about Padres and what the Dodgers think of the Padres kind of moving forward. Good convo. And then we finish up with, I wanted to do this because um, once in a while I, I need an outlet for talking about movies. And so I had just seen 1917 and I wanted to talk to Dustin about 1917 because he was a film major in school and has made his own movies before he's a big film guy. So we talked about 1917. It's, it's mostly me just dumping on a few parts of the movie. I really liked it, but um, had some problems with certain things that were going on. So anyway, episode 31 with Dustin Byron, let's get to Dustin right now. So now we are joined by Dodger Dustin. It's been a, it's been a bad week for guests. We, we reached out to a couple guests that uh, had a th- thought a good chance of coming on the podcast this week and both kind of fell through. And I've been teasing Dodger Dustin. I don't, I guess you don't know this Dustin, but I've been teasing you for like the last two weeks because there's been kind of a lot of Padre slash Dodger overlap in the news, sure which has. is kind of rare other than Manny Machado or Steve Garvey. I, I can't think of another it's, time where like, we, like we've last, all been on the same player. Like last year. And then all the way back to like 40 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, that's happening, I guess. And uh, I, I guess I just want to get your first initial thoughts. Um, I was listening to Jeff Passan today, actually, and I, this is appropriate for the timing that we're recording this. Um, he was talking about how the deal for Mookie Betts, once like the the Red Sox got spooked by the Brewstar Gratterall, also Hall of Fame, difficult name to say of anyone involved in a trade ever, Brewstar Gratterall. Um, but he was saying how once the medicals on him out, were, were out and not good and the Red Sox were spooked, then this deal had a really good chance of not happening. And then the Dodgers were like, no, this, this fucking has to happen. We're an inch away from Mookie Betts. We're not going to let a guy like Bruce Dark Gratterall make this thing fall through. So I wanted to hear just what your emotions were like the whole week leading up to this, hearing that the trade happened, hearing that it might not happen now because of this one pitcher's medical injury. What's going through Dustin's mind? Well, okay. First thing, I forget. Can we curse on here? Yeah, I already did. Okay, fuck the Red Sox, because because <laughs> that guy, Bruce Star, uh, that was literally from when I was first hearing about reading about the trade the night it went down. 
that was like part of every writer's scouting report on him already was that because of past arm damage, he was a ballpen arm. He's extremely unlikely to project to the rotation. And he's, he's fat too, from what I've heard. right. <laughs> and then, you know, I'm sure there's something specific they'll point to, but like at the end of the day, they were saying like they didn't know he'd had the arm damage that would make him not a viable starter. It's like everybody knew. So, God, they're I they've handled themselves just the worst over. <laughs> um, and not to mention the Cora stuff. So they've been in, they've been in a great place in the news the last few weeks. Right. Well, and then uh, that's second to how just how ridiculous it is that they traded Mookie in the first place. Um, I, to answer your question about like the emotions of it, I was pretty confident and it seems now, cause I listened to the same podcast you did. I should have been less confident than I was. <laughs> I was pretty confident at the time because I feel like when trades get in trouble like that, it's pretty, it's teams usually don't want to back out or truly sink a deal because I've heard, cause I think it's really an issue as far as how whether agents or teams will deal with you in the future. Um, but hearing it now, it's kind of like hearing Jeff Passan today kind of sounds like it was close to happening. I'm not surprised the Dodgers did whatever they could because yeah, they added more to the deal and it's still an insane deal for them. And yeah, what did they really add? They added Jeter Downs, who's a nice piece and they ended up absorbing Bruce Gratterall in a, a separate deal with the twins. And they added Connor Wong. Like none of these guys are moving the needle. I mean, I, I was going to talk about this later on the podcast with Wade, like adding downs and Wong, like what the, in a system as deep as yours, like who cares? It, like just bite the bullet, add a couple other mid-level prospects and get, and get Mookie Betts. Who's going to be a star. Yeah. You're preaching to the choir. I mean, I, I got in a few arguments with friends who I feel like don't follow this stuff quite as closely as I did about like whether the Dodgers like really, not made a mistake, but like whether they really made the trade got a lot worse. And I was trying to explain to them how deep their system and more so their their just process of replenishing the system is. Like they're trading like four four or five of their second tier prospects a year a lot of the time, mm-hmm. and they just keep coming because they're spending so much money and they're so thorough in their process of developing these guys. And Jeter Downs in the first place comes from a trade that looks absolutely insane now where they stole him from Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. We for downs and, uh, and Josiah gray. Who's who might even be the better prospect in that deal at the time right. was kind of just like forgotten. Um, not, not forgotten, but like could have been a nice piece. And now he looks like he's going to be a rotation piece. Right. Which is kind of the point, which is the Dodgers have a way of maximizing all these guys. once they get into their system and downs by all accounts looking like a really good prospect now, but he's still behind Lux and Seager, and I don't think they have any plans to move on from Seager. Lux is just getting started. And Wong, I mean, like, I love when a trade happens. Everybody's like, yeah, they traded a good prospect. Like, you, you haven't watched him. You're just like going off the analysis you just read. Yeah, like, and uh, he's having def- not watched him, system. also just go look. He was like the 15th best prospect in the system. If that matters right. to you also, then you have to consider that other part of it. It would take like a, a corona, the coronavirus going through the catcher's room uh, meeting to get Connor Wong actually on the major league team. Or like, just 15 regular Coronas. That'd probably get him on the yeah, team that too. Would do too. Yeah. <laughs> so I, and they added back a top hundred player who I think actually fits a need in a reliever. And they added a, a late second round pick, which is like, so I think how much worse the deal got for them was way overrated. It obviously was, it was more so, I think this is part of what the Red Sox were doing is now it looks like they got more prospect back. Even if you actually break it down, they 
it's not that complicated. Like they 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 gave a top 100 prospect for a slightly better prospect but that isn't major league ready, and they got like a they got like a third tier prospect, like nice prospect, but like I don't Connor. We could easily never hear Connor once again. I'd say it's probable we never hear it. Yeah, and I feel like any time a trade like this is made and people kind of like fly in for analysis, everybody just overrates prospects. It's like, um, it's, yeah, it, you, it's very easy to be one or the other, either, either overrating the prospect or completely dismissing the prospect. It's, those are the two stances you, you're allowed to take. Right. And so like, I just, yeah, exactly. And so I was trying to explain to people also that like that Gatterall fits a need and is major league ready. And that's, even if he's a lower prospect, then downs the like there's that those are years downs that's a year or two downs has to get to the majors where there's variance whereas like bruzar bruzar whatever the fuck it's bruzar yeah might contribute right away so like it's not that simple as like you could make an argument the dodgers could have done some form of that trade straight up if they needed bullpen help i could so, make the argument that bruzar well first of all he's in the deal for kenta maeda um i don't if i'm a dodger fan and i i used to do a dodger show i know the dodgers prospects pretty well and like we're friends and I've been, I know the Dodgers decently enough. Um, right. If I'm you, I really don't care if Bruce Dar comes to the Dodgers or not. I would just include Kenta Maeda as like a money dump or freeing up roster space or whatever it needs to happen. And I would just bite the bullet and lose all these guys and just get Mookie Betts. I'd be happy. You know, oh, like, of course. And that's the thing is like, that's what I, I wasn't surprised to hear what Jefferson was saying. Cause like there was so the original deal was so bad. There was so much room for the Dodgers <laughs> to add more to it and still do it without blinking. Yeah. So you do you think there's a – I mean, it's impossible for you to know this, but what do you think the odds are of you guys re-signing them? So I was just talking about this with a few friends earlier because, like, Stan Kasten, the team president, said at the introductory conference that, like, yeah, that's the way they see it is, like, they want they want him here longer than one year, which, like – I was just comparing to when we traded for Manny Machado, your boy, and yeah. we they said nothing like that at the time. They mm-hmm. said, "Oh, they said like they really hinted that it was a rental." So like I was a little encouraged by hearing them say that. They have a strong philosophical opposition for, to to extra longer term deals. They they're they're just they're as a lot of the analytic people are just very wary of how much variance that is. You're trusting somebody to stay healthy and five other things over twelve years. Uh, I do think there's a lot, it's kind this might sound ridiculous to a lot of other people who are following fan teams that aren't in the playoffs every single year, but there's a lot of negative buzz about the Dodgers this off season, as far as that they're in a world series window and they were kind of sitting on their hands all off season and that they've stayed under the luxury tax three straight years when the first time they said they were doing it just to stop their Peter tax and that in general, that they're not, they're not, their bit long-term plan doesn't seem to actually be big spenders that they just were doing it at first. And so I do think they know that like that people are not going to be happy if this is just a rental, unless it does win the world series, which obviously then, then it kind of changes, changes the math on it. But I, they're going to make one of these big deals. The thing that, the thing that makes me unsure of it is they have Bellinger too. It's difficult for me to be imagine that five years from now, both Mookie and Bellinger are on the team and they're just both making $400 million. Yeah. It's hard to know where the finances for teams are going to be in five years, but um, if you're going to pay anybody, it's those two guys. Right. And you, you, I mean, Seager has how many more years of like uh, pre-arbitration stuff like two 
or something. Yeah, and they'll, he's somebody they'll, you know, they'll get rid of before the other guys for sure. Uh, yeah, and then Justin Turner, you don't need to worry about. Um, Will Smith is a, has five years of control left. And like pretty much every other piece, you think um, you just let them walk or trade them and you build around Mookie and Bellinger. Like nothing else, like all these guys are homegrown and either have a lot of years left of control or they're on the, they're on the older side like Turner um, or like Kike Hernandez or Chris Taylor, like pieces that don't mean a whole ton. You just let them go. Yeah, I mean, that would be, that's I, that's my hope, and that's, I'd say, 50-50 what I'm thinking. Or I could also see them signing Mookie now. There's a two-year window, I think, between whether, whether they'll also have to extend Bellinger, and in that time, they can see if Bellinger actually drops off and isn't expensive as they thought. They can ha- sign them both, but w- early on in both deal, having both deals end up trading one. Like, there's a lot of room to not have to make that decision now. So I think they, it's fairly likely. I, I think, you know, Friedman is pretty, pretty staunchly opposed to like these huge deals, but he's We've shown talked a, about him like, before. I, I think he's, he plays it way too safe for a guy in his position with a team with the resources that the Dodgers have. We've talked about this. Yeah, that is. And that's a big frustration with him among Dodger fans. He's pretty like, and that's a frustration that some people like take all the way into just not liking him. And that kind of drives me crazy too. Is like he's obviously done incredible things for the franchise overall, but that's like his fatal flaw for sure is that he can be so stubborn about like what things he knows are true, but like he doesn't know when to break his own rules sometimes. But he hot, did hot take alert. Sorry. Yeah. Um, is it even a good idea to sign Mookie Betts to a 10 year deal? You think so? He's 27 years old, he's gonna play all this year at pretty much age 27. And then he's a he's a free agent next year. You assume he's going to go to free agency because he's pretty much said as much. And this isn't the NBA where like Paul George changes his mind and stays in OKC longer. I, I, he's if he's he said he's going to go. I believe him. He's going he's going to go to free agency and take he, probably the best deal. He's going to take the best deal. So he's going to be 28 years old. Do you sign him to a 10 year deal through his age his age 38 season? And his calling card is like the reason that he separates himself so much from every other player in the world other than Mike Trout is his defense and his base running. So yeah. if you're a fantasy guy, you love the, you know, the 20 stolen bases every year. If you're just a, a regular baseball fan, he's the best right fielder in baseball by a wide margin defensively. So all like in six years, let's say he's hitting 25 home runs a season. The batting average dips a little because he's, he's getting older. The back gets slower. That's just what happens. He's, he's a 285 hitter. Um, doesn't run anymore and plays like an average right field. Like, is that a guy that deserves $40 million a season? Well, the answer is no, but like, that's the thing is like, essentially, I don't think there's, there's a kind of concept out there that teams are just now like understanding and getting smarter that like the back end of these deals are bad. That's kind of bullshit is like these teams have known this for a long time, but there was a con there was the idea was that these guys are so elite and they make such a big difference that you pay for it, and then just for the kind first of time, the yeah. back end of the deal. And and also, I would say that ideally, one of the hopes is that by being the Dodgers or the Yankees or theoretically the Red Sox, it doesn't look like it right now. You just are one of the teams that can afford to like eat eat the back half of a bad deal, and it doesn't kill you. Um, so it's tough. I mean. As a fan, I'm just going to say yes, because I want to have the best player in baseball on my team for five years, even if mm-hmm. even if it means five uglier years down the road. It's a, it's just tough because 
then what happens when the same decision comes with Cody? I just, I think that at some point it's playing. I mean, we'll see there how, how, just how intense they are about this view on long-term value is going to be tested, but I just don't see them letting all these guys go because there's always going to be somebody outbid them on these deals. Well, the Padres are going to be eating in total eight years of bad Eric Cosmer, and they've all been bad years. So that's another, that's, <laughs> that's what we get to look okay, forward so that's to. The other thing is like, you know, last year it was Manny and, and Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, and they're both, they both got 300 million plus, and they're both theoretically elite players, but very in and out of actually being elite, especially. Yeah, I don't think they're any, I don't, I think that ship has sailed on both of them. I, I think they're really good players, especially Manny defensively. You don't see it in the box score, but he's, he's definitely elite defensively. And overall, I'd say he's a very good player, but not a top 10 player in baseball, not even close. Yeah. And I'd put him above Harper because Harper's defense is just kind of just not good now. Yeah. And so, and that's, I think the other idea is like, if you're going to be one of these teams that does at least have big deals, is bets is paying 30% more for bets, but he is year after year, a top five player worth it compared to the variance you get with paying a hundred million less. But for somebody who does have the, does have the floor of not even being an impact player. So I think that was, that's the way I'm sure they're going to be looking at these things all year. But like, I think that's more the way you're going to look at it. Cause you're not going to be a team that's going to have none of these big deals. So is bets worth a hundred million more? than somebody who's a really good but really great player. And yeah, that, that, we've talked about this on the show before with like surplus value and stuff, and you were talking about that. And it kind of works more with teams that keep the player. So you get the huge discount for the first half of his career, right. and then you yeah, pay yeah. more for the second half. But if you're just getting the second half and you're paying the premium, then the numbers kind of don't work out as well. Right, which is why you know there's a, certainly a chance that they let Mookie walk and Cody's the guy they plan on doing this with. I still think it's a good deal, even if you have him for one year. I really do. That's the thing is that <laughs> that's what's so nice about the trade is by not trading May or Lux or, you know, or just really not even trading like or a even keep it Ruiz. You kept him. Yeah. And, it's, or, and also just only trading a few guys and even getting stuff back, including Price, who the team is actually going to need and get and getting a reliever that they actually need and getting. The most random thing in this trade, it continues to be that they actually got a good draft pick back. <laughs> like, I think that's so weird. And you get to keep Andy, Andy Pagas, or I think it's Pagas. You know who I'm talking about? The He played rookie ball this year for you guys. Um, he was going to be going to Cincinnati in the deal with Jock Peterson. And now that deal fell through and you're keeping him. I think he's a, I think he's a really good player. I think in there two years, yeah. Andy Pagas is a guy that you're going to care about. Yeah. So I think that, you know, I would love for them to keep bets, but it is... The, one of my first reactions is, oh, this is a good trade no matter what. You would, I wanted to ask you about... You would trade two to three, a good player and two good but not transcendent prospects for one year of a of an elite impact player every time. Yes, and we just yeah we just saw it happen. I don't, the Red Sox, we talked about it on the show a couple weeks ago, and last, actually the last two weeks has dominated our show, and the, the consensus is the Red Sox are fucking idiots. Yeah, but, I mean, it should. I just think it's not even about smart or stupid. It's about like in a inappropriate like <laughs> they're cutting costs so aggressively in such a weird way when they're still raising their prices they're like the third most profitable parent company overall Fenway group or whatever they're called in all sports and just in how how all, all over the place their plan seems to be that they are this intense about saving money now 
but they didn't know that at all a year ago when they were giving 400 million to sale in the Valdi is so weird. I was going to ask you about David Price because I was watching the 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 I guess introductory conference where they have bets and Price go to Dodger Stadium and they put give them the jerseys and take pictures, and Price has a big smile on his face, and I'm just thinking the whole time like of the scene from Moneyball where Brad Pitt's talking to David Justice in the batting cage, and David's got like kind of an attitude, and he's like, "Yeah, you're paying me seven million dollars a year. I am special," and. Brad Pitt's like, no, nah, man, I'm not paying you $7 million a year. The Yankees are paying half your contract. And the only reason why Price is in LA standing next to Mookie Betts is because the Dodgers wanted Mookie Betts and David Price is such a disgusting contract that the, the Red Sox had to include him in the deal. And I'm just thinking like, is, is Price just like a good actor? Is he putting on a happy face? Does he know how terrible he is? Is he an irrational confidence guy who thinks he's actually still good and the, the Dodgers wanted him? I was just cracking up watching how happy David Price was to be there, and the Dodgers really didn't even want him. On the flip side, I I, I mean, that's all true, obviously. <laughs> On the flip side, I could see him genuinely just being that happy because he's out of the situation of being the highest paid player on the Red Sox. And I don't think he was really happy so in Boston. Pressure. He used to fight with Eckersley all the time. Like there was a weird dynamic going on with him in Boston. Yeah, and like people people have talked even when he first went there that he's just like a really bad personality fit. Like he's a pretty sensitive thoughtful guy but kind of kind of prickly and like boston will push you to your limit and now he's going to los angeles where i mean even even though the dodgers having great fan base there's just not even the capacity to be nearly as intense as like the Yankees and red sox fans are but also he's freed of being that big a burden on his team like part of the red sox fans anger was because he was they he was one of the highest paid pitchers in baseball and now he's not for us so he has like the right to be mediocre and us not to like hate him for it. Um, who who are what are the salaries for your your staff? Do you know offhand? Kershaw's thirty two, I believe. Uh, I mean, you've got Walker still, obviously among his rookies, not even in arbitration yet. Same with Urias. Same with obviously same with Matt Gonsolin. Kershaw's making twenty three this year. Oh, that, yeah, that's weird. There was like that. That's right. There was a structure to it. It was a luxury tax salary is 31. Yeah. So like, I I don't, I know the extension and the opt-in total to three years, 96, but it was structured. However, yeah, it's structured weird. His base salary is 23 and his signing bonus is 7.6. So like he's getting a signing bonus every year. I don't understand how this works, but that sounds very um, football. Like (laughs) they, they did some weird stuff. They, they fudged some stuff around like contracts are complicated more so than they need to be probably. But he's still going to, I mean, Price um, is still going to be probably, what, the to- top five paid pit- pitcher in baseball. Overall, yeah, but not by us. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, since you're splitting it with um, Boston. But right. he's 34. He's making $32 million this year, and he's going to make 32 the next two years also. Yeah, I mean, that's it. But he's still like he's still a solid pitcher if you look. He's just the expectation that he mm-hmm. should be elite is what kind of haunts him. This is why you don't pay pitchers, Dustin. No, I agree. And that's that okay, that, that to bring it full circle a little bit before we get back to price. But that's the other thing is I do see them trade paying for a Mookie type before they pay another pitcher. I think they consider themselves as having gotten very lucky with Kershaw, who they needed to give that huge contract when they came because they're a new ownership group and all that. But they 
I'm sure their data, all everyone's data says this map is even worse with long-term pitchers. Well, not the Red Sox because they signed, like you said, Evaldi and then Sale and then Price. All they had all those guys on the same team. Mookie. And like, if you're a Red Sox fan, you're like, we had to give up one of the best player, best young players we've ever had to get rid of Price's contract, and we only got rid of half of it. Like, it's so brutal. It's amazing. Like, yeah. So good for them. <laughs> um, do you got? Do you think you win the World Series this year? Oh, cut, cut right to the heart with that one. Um, it's you can never think you're going to like. There's too much randomness. I think we have the best shot because I think we actually probably are the best team in baseball now. I'm worried about your pitching, man. I talked to Wade about it, yeah. and I think your pitch you improved areas that you didn't really need to improve in, and your pitching staff would be the biggest concern for me if I were if I were a Dodger fan. That's where I would expect them to maybe make a deal mid-year, but then I expected that with the ballpen last year, so you never know. Uh, it's definitely very reliant on young guys. And they're big big prospect young guys, but young nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And they some of them haven't had that first Tommy John surgery that everyone gets yet. So I would agree with you. And I what I always like with our World Series chances, and it, it's gotten us to the World Series two out of three years, is just that our path is so much cleaner to the than the equal teams in the AL. Because the Yankees and Astros have to deal with each other. But we're really the only team operating on this level in the NL, even though the Nationals beat us last year. They're not this just this just talented every year in and year out. They are, they are bringing back Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg. I, I, trust me, I'm, I'm, I'm as scared of them as I should be because they beat us okay. last year. But they're not... They're not the behemoth we are as far as that they're you know spending top money, but also have top farm system year in and year out. Yeah, but if that rotation gets to the playoffs healthy, they can beat anyone. So, and in a couple of years, you're going to have to face uh, Gore, Patino, and Paddock in San Diego. So good luck with that. Well, that's a, so. How do you feel about not getting that or not I'm, getting any of those con- like trades you were looking into this year? I'm totally okay with it, honestly. Like we, there was no chance we were going to re-sign him, and mm-hmm they're not competing for a world series this year. So it would have been really exciting and fun and it would have been a good team, but I don't think there was any scenario where we talk them into staying long-term and the, the team's just not good enough to win right now. Like they're, I think they're going to be a really good team even without them uh, right around 80 to 84 wins optimistically. If everything kind of goes right and the pitchers stay healthy, the pitching still, it's kind of a mess because if, if you're relying on Garrett Richards to stay healthy for a whole season, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. And even to Nelson Lamette, like he hasn't been healthy for a whole season either. Right. And then it's Luke Casey and then it's Paddock, uh, who are both good, but Paddock, um, it, it's, it was his first year. So let's see how he does in his second year. P- teams adapt to you. And we'll, I think he's a really good pitcher, but he's not like an ace, like even though he pitched like it at times, um, there's a lot of work to do with the Padres still. And the offense is much improved and the bullpen is going to be amazing. So there's a chance that the offense clicks and then the bullpen shortens all these games and the pitching staff only has to really throw five innings or six innings at most. And there's a scenario in here where they like everything goes right and they win 85 and could Mookie have pushed them to 90 maybe, but there's that's too many maybes for me and I'm, I don't care that they didn't sign him. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I think it's, it must be cool, good for you that you're just, you're in the talk for all these guys. Like you're being aggressive when you were kind of in the wilderness for so long. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, that makes sense. It's also, you're still in a window where you're not quite ready to take the division from the Dodgers unless things really broke a certain way. 
Yeah. You could be soon. Like the Dodgers have, as you mentioned, it would only take like one Walker Buehler injury for us to be like a very shaky rotation for another se- next season. And, you know, it, I'm, I'm very optimistic about this team's future just because they're so thorough and replenishing the farm system all the time and stuff like that. But history says that staying this good doesn't just stay, keep happening. That we've been like a hundred win team, give or take some every year for the last it's, three years. It's really hard to do, but we're in a new age of baseball where the Dodgers are being run so well. You look up their lineup and it's guys that they draft late in the first round. Like every, they're, they're not missing on any picks and they do really well signing free agents internationally. And yeah, um, except for Yadier Alvarez, who was the guy I really liked a few years ago and he did not turn out, but you guys yeah. have been running yourself as a team, like the Rays or one of those really six, the A's, the really successful small market teams, but you also have the money to re-sign players long-term and then once in a while go get the big free agent. And then like you're in a great spot. And so are the Yankees. Um, Jeff Passon was talking about this too. The two juggernaut teams are now actually being run well. And it's, you're seeing how more sustainable it is than it was in like the nineties where you just try to buy everyone. It's more sustainable. It's, it's interesting because there's a gap. You're you're the Dodgers are dealing with a little this year, although it's, pretty much gone right now because they trade from Loki and like it's the Red Sox are dealing with this in a much more profound way, but it's sustainable in a way that fans don't always care about. Like if, if you're letting people walk or not getting free agents because you're kind of playing on a higher system where you're spending your money just to constantly reinforce the system, it's smart, but fans don't always care. Like they just really hate when you lose and then still have to watch the offseason go by and, and not get an impact player. You're and not so, losing though. You're going to the World Series every year, right? And I agree. You're. You, that's how I feel. But it's interesting yeah. how many other Dodger fans like don't like Friedman, which is insane to me. Well, people are idiots, Dustin. That's exactly right. <laughs> but it's uh, interesting PR situation for these teams. Let's. Let, you want to do 1917? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So, uh, people who don't know Dustin, Dustin's a movie guy. He went to Chapman, studied film, has been making movies. So he's the movie guy I go to when I want to talk movies. And if you want to turn off the pod right now, that's fine. We're going to close out with talk on 1917. So I went alone in the afternoon to see 1917 the other day. And that's now my favorite thing to do. That's how I watch movies now. Yeah. I'd say it's over half how I do it too. (laughs) It's amazing. And two people in the theater, super creepy, but I really, really enjoyed the movie, but if it wasn't shot in, you know, the, the, the style that it was the one continuous shot, which everyone's giving it so much credit for as they should, it's, a, it's incredible how they did it. I, I think if they don't do that, the movie kind of gets lost into just like one of these other good movies. Yeah. Not, I, not like an award winning best picture movie. Do you agree with that take? I do. I just don't know if like, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's I, I totally agree with it, but it's a lot. There's a lack of other elements there. Like the characters aren't really built for to be what you invest in. But like, I remember there being a very similar discussion about Avatar, which is that Avatar people are like, if you remove that, this technology is like nothing we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, the script is the script. The script for that movie was like outright annoying. <laughs> and like, so this is more just, they weren't focused on things that weren't what they're doing. And there was a lot that you can, because it happens in such a, such a small period of time. It's obviously just very focused on the experience of it. I, I, I think I like that they 
it wasn't that they were going for things that they thought were great writing in in actuality they were not they were flat it just happened to be the technology was helping them it just seemed that they knew what they were doing at all times that this was the movie they were making so i agree with it but i don't necessarily hold it against them i do wonder if it's going to make it a movie that doesn't age as well once it's not being watched in theaters i can see that like like you just said avatar did not age well at all it was it was amazing yeah. for the first couple years and now it's definitely not it's not even close to being considered one of the best movies that we've ever seen it's not, not only that if you when's the last time you heard somebody talk about it um unless it's like st- like references in like old pop culture from like the time it came out where i'm like watching parks and rec or something and they throw an avatar reference out no that's the only time i heard <laughs> yeah. it. Oh, yeah exactly like it's it's had a very interesting fade to black because it because that reason it doesn't hold up very well so i think 1917 could that could be an issue for it but i don't mind that i think it was built to be badass in theater experience and it was it was great and you should see it in theaters because if you don't you're missing out yes i agree and okay uh, 1917 or dunkirk i like dunkirk more still because i think dunkirk there's a little bit more to like latch onto after you just watch it the first time. As far as Dunkirk, there's a lot of cool stuff they do. Also, no story. What? Both these movies have little to no story or script. So Dunkirk, like this, I just think with Dunkirk, what they're doing, that's really just the form of it. Like this, it's the one shot thing, but we've seen a lot of one shot things. It's just one of the better versions of it we've seen. But what Dunkirk does where it's the one week, one day, one hour, but then they all finally line up at the climax of the movie. I've never really seen before. So it's a little more unique and a little more, there's more to appreciate after the first watch, I would say. I didn't want to spend too much time on it, but before we do go, and this is, we haven't actually spoiled anything so far, but now we're going to, I want to be uh, asshole Ryan and like pick a few things apart about the movie that bugged me. And I want you to give me your reaction. I'm excited. For this. Is this, this is the best part of, of our interactions. <laughs> All right. So the, 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 the short fat kid um, who dies, like the two guys that get sent off to save his brother. Right, right. The short, the short one who dies and gets stabbed um, looks nothing like Rob Stark, who's I his know. brother. Like, yeah. what the hell is that? I, it's pretty it, – I, I kind of laughed, laughed about that in the theater when I saw that. They make a point Shit, of saying really like, not, oh, yeah, you'll notice you'll recognize my brother. He looks just like me. They say it like three times during the movie. And then yeah. you get there and it's Rob Stark. and You're like, not even close. It just I was just thinking like, well, damn, <laughs> like this kid is kind of like a just like a pudgy, funny kid. And <laughs> other is one of like the most famously handsome people <laughs> in the world right now. Like he really got unlucky. Um, number two. Kind of going in order here of things that, that bothered me the most. Um, so he gets stabbed in the gut. First of all, do you die that quickly from being stabbed in the gut? It took like five minutes. I think it would depend, and I'm really just talking out of my ass here, but I think it would depend whether it pierced, because you have, you have, um, you have, <laughs> I'm not even finding the words I want to say, but. There's stuff in there, obviously, that you don't yeah, want to stab. There's not just the gut, but there's like the aortic valve and stuff like that. Like if you pierce something that would really, you know, really just create a massive blood flow. I mean, this is exactly as much my expertise as it sounds like. You nailed it. And yeah. <laughs> but I think it's while possible. he was while he was dying in the other guy's arms, and they were talking about how he was dying, the whole time I was thinking, for, you have a knife next to you, and you have a bayonet, and there's a building on fire. 
like go heat that shit up and cauterize the wound. How come I'm the only one thinking of this? Yeah, that's a great point. And I didn't even think about that. I was watching it happen in real time and I was like, cauterize the damn wound because like people can survive these things. It's, it's right. a, it's a gut wound, you know, and that, that's immediately what yeah, I was thinking of. And I was shocked they didn't explore it. Put pressure on it. It was also like weird. I, one of the weirder moments of pulling off it being continuous, but like the sort of cruel reveal that there was actually the whole army, like a hundred feet away from them. Uh, <laughs> oh, you mean they're the British? Yeah. So, okay. Okay. This is the next, and this is a bigger one. They get sent on this mission and the whole way they're the whole time they're on the mission, they're walking, they constantly are running to their own guys. So why the hell were they sent on this mission when pretty much the entire way they have troops, you know, that can bridge the gap between their current siege line and where they're trying to get to. Okay, so they do explain that the phones are cut off. Yeah, they, I guess. My interpretation... No, the phones are cut off between them and uh, Benedict Cumberbatch. The phones are not anybody, cut off between them... Benedict Cumberbatch, yeah. Yeah, they're not cut off between the, him and the... Uh, who's that other guy who's the evil British guy in every movie? Oh, Mark uh, Strong? Yeah, the, the phones weren't, I don't think, cut off. They were right next to each other. I don't think those phones were cut. They could have sent yeah. a runner. That's how close they were. So my interpretation was... And I think this was part of what they were going for was it was more about they wanted it's such they knew it was a suicide mission. And so they were looking for somebody who had a brother or well, obviously a family member. It's going to be a brother in the other battalion because they needed somebody who would really actually go for it, despite the fact they're going to die. It seemed like it, they weren't that far away, doesn't it? Weren't they yeah. like, <laughs> again, what, you say less than less than 10 be, miles. Yeah, this movie is really more of an experience and not one to like, <laughs> not one to be like, this is how war actually worked. They weren't, no. he got, he got there in a few hours, like mostly walking the whole time. He does take, so I've heard he's this. On a, he's on a truck for five minutes. River too. The river takes him a long way. He's on a truck for five minutes. He's in the river for a few minutes and then he's there. Right. So Mark Strong's group going kind of the opposite direction i also it also bugged me that mark strong who knew what the mission was saw this guy who was alone trying to carry it out why didn't he just throw him a few extra guys because i think i think everybody in their right mind said this is a suicide mission i don't even want some of my guys to die doing this what about saving private ryan they sent nine guys just just for no reason it's a fair point <laughs> i guess they hadn't seen it <laughs> seen Private Ryan yet. I think the way I like to look at it at least because it's giving the most it's like protecting the movie the most is that like the impossibility and kind of downright stupidity of the mission was kind of the point was that like his life was there his life would matter so little that like they were like well we'll choose this guy because if there's one percent chance of this working it's going to be him because he has a brother and then this other person gets picked because he just happens to be napping next to the guy who has a brother and it's just like the cruelty of the randomness of roar war it's like the, the theme of it, I feel like, comes through, even if the reality of it can kind of hurt your head to think about a little bit. <laughs> so I was just mostly bugged about how ended, how it ended up that they were actually pretty close to each other. And it made no sense to send these. I didn't. I know it's based kind of off a true story. It's like loosely based. Is that right? It's like based. It's like gathering his grandfather's stories. It's not this. It's not based off of any one true story, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also the last thing in the scene where he it's at night and he's in that burned out town 
and there's a drunk German guy like puking and he runs into this other German guy in the same room. I didn't like how he carried it for us for a British soldier in world war one. I, I didn't like how he was trying to, you know, nicely like convince the German to let him go. Yeah. There were, yeah. Your, your move needs to be to kill that guy immediately. And then while the other guy's puking, you go kill him too. And you, your life's a lot easier. Yeah, I, I agreed with that. I also thought because it works once, like they had set up that the other guy was like so nice and like doesn't really think before he acts. And like, so it kind of made sense that he did, did the stupid thing and tried to help the German pilot. But then for our main character to do it after he had just seen his friend die that way, it was kind yes. of ridiculous. It, fool you once, you know, come on. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. So overall, I really liked the movie. Um, I might even see it again just to, you know, get a deeper connection with it. And maybe I, you never know what you miss when you watch a movie and um, get some a different pair of eyes on it that have seen it and want to explore things deeper. Maybe I, I like seeing movies that I like more than once. You know, I agree. Okay, yeah, I, I really liked it. And I tried, I kind of just, I, I, I kind of put it in this space in my mind where it's almost like a war fable or something. It's not meant to be representative of real life. So all these kind of things that, that, that don't work, it doesn't matter. It's just meant to be like this kind of almost surreal experience of what war was like, but I don't think it, fashions it's it considers itself like a potentially true story at least i hope not <laughs> the scene for me that won the movie was him at the end um he he'd caught up to whatever that group was called that he was trying to find and he's in the trench and they're they're like getting ready to run out the trench and attack and that whole scene from when he arrives in the trench he decides he's getting out of the trench and runs on the like the grassy hill above them and the bombs are going off and the whistles are going and they're starting to run and he's sprinting for, and it's, it's in the trailer too, which kind of sucks. But, um, for me, that whole, you know, however long it takes for him to reach Benedict Cumberdatch, who's the the Colonel that wins the movie for me. And that, that made it a great movie in my eyes. That I agree. Seems, that seems incredible. That's kind of the way I look at it is it's like, it's a movie of moments, not so much of like, Oh, a character's journey or so on and so forth. So, and I agree with you. That was incredible. I also thought when he wakes up after, I think I got in a, I got in a, not, I got in a discussion with a friend about this. Does the bullet skim of the back of his head or does he fall back and hit his head? I think he, I think the guy missed and he just fell back and hit his head. That would make the most sense. But for some reason in theaters, I thought he got skimmed. But when he wakes up from that, that was also another sequence that I thought was incredible. With the, with the French woman? No, before that, just like it was so surreal when he wakes up at night. It almost felt like a dream sequence. Yeah. Like the music. Yeah. There was just a couple of moments. It's like the movie does a great at creating moments more so than the full, you know, coherent character arc or whatever. I also yelled when, uh, so he cut his hand on barbed wire going across yeah. the trench. Oh. Yeah. No. And then he, I know he, you're talking about. <laughs> he sticks it in the open corpse of a dead guy. Who's like rotting in the middle of the battlefield. Like the whole hand goes in. That's been cut. I'm just like, Jesus, Why? I didn't need to see just that. like he's dead, by the way, like he's dead. Well, I guess he's with a medical if I guess maybe not, but that would be a very fast acting infection. <laughs> I was thinking, yeah, I was thinking, OK, so he just infected his hand and he's going to be sick the whole movie now. And then I remembered that, oh, the movie's going to be over. It's in real time. It's going to be over in a couple hours. He won't die yet, but he's going to have some issues <laughs> after this movie's over. Yeah, he should get taken care of by that medical tent that he just found. That's for sure. He's probably losing 
like most of his arm. And I don't know yeah. if they're running out of penicillin in the you know in the front lines or. <laughs> I would hope not. Wait, I would recommend not doing that. Yeah, that was that that was so to me. It, <laughs> it's funny. I didn't really remember that till you said it, but when I saw that, I was like, yeah, this is a key part of the movie. Clearly, like he just died. He doesn't even know it, and then it doesn't come up again. Yeah, they killed the other guy. They killed the little fat guy instead. I did. I will say this is one of that, one last thing is like. It was one of those things where you just go into the head of the people making the movie and you can see what's going to happen a little bit, which is that in the very beginning, they're playing off the fact little fat kid with the brother to be the main character because it's like his journey. Yeah. But I was like, if one of them dies, it's going to be him because that's no way that between the two of them, he's the main character. I couldn't like, remember who was going to live. Some guy and like the short fat guy. It's like one of them is clearly going to be the the actual main character. <laughs> Did you you couldn't remember either because in the trailer you can see who's running and alive the whole time, and he's by himself. Thinking, yeah, I guess I wasn't even thinking about it. I, didn't I didn't, either. Wasn't sure that only one of them survives, but I just knew if one of them was going to die, that our main character is more likely to be the guy who looks like a main character in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was good. I was impressed with him. I don't yeah, do that. I agree. Even though the character writing wasn't like incredible or anything, I thought the acting was pretty great all around. Colin Firth is my favorite English gentleman, like soldier actor. He's great. Yeah, and uh, I'm forgetting his name, but the guy who Andrew Scott was—he's like he was just in flea bags. So everybody fell in love with him, but he was incredible. When like he's like the the soldier with a small battalion who like oh, is like you're gonna die. You shouldn't go. You're gonna die. Like he's like. You're an idiot if you do this, but God be with you. And I thought that was fun to just see somebody be like, yeah, this is the worst idea. Yeah, I thought the I thought the dialogue in certain points was like pretty great among the soldiers. Yeah, and just a lot of cool cameos. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of great actors just coming in for like eight just minutes. Just coming in for a minute. Yeah. Cumberbatch blew me away. He's He was great in that role too. Yo, okay, so I really liked that. They set him up like maybe this guy's going to be war crazed in the villain, but when it came down to it, he wasn't war crazed. He was just very cynical because he's been in the war too long about oh we think we saved these people today they're just gonna send them to their death next week instead which i thought was so much better than if he was work raised yeah it's a good point yeah all right we went we went long on that so uh i'll get i'll let you get out of here cool Um, good talking and uh we'll catch up we'll catch up again soon okay yeah sounds good All right, big thank you again to Dustin for coming on. Need to get him on more often, probably. Whenever Wade's out, maybe we'll just call in uh, Dustin from off the bench. Need to get him in the studio, though. The kid lives in LA, so it's, it, we'll make something happen. Anyway, not going to do picks this week. I mean, it's XS, XFL. You know what? I ain't giving a pick. Screw it. Tampa Bay, I'm already betting on it anyway, so I might as well give it out. Tampa Bay gets back on track this week, minus three at Seattle. I really have no reason to bet this other than I need to bet on something and football is probably the best thing to bet on in any sport. Challenge me. If you come at me, if you think it's anything else, soccer, get out of here. Tampa Bay, who was supposed to be the best team in the league. They were always on favorite to win the XFL this year coming out of the gates. Horrible week one loss already fired their defensive coordinator panic move. They're going to be really hungry coming into week two and Lay the three points at Seattle. I don't care that it's at Seattle. Um, I think they could win this game big. Anyway, thank you for listening. Please follow the show's Twitter account, at Fire Farm Hands. If you enjoy the show, subscribe. We're on all your platforms. 
iTunes, Stitcher, hopefully, Google Play, TuneIn, Spotify, and iHeart. You can also find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please leave your comments, questions, concerns. Rate the show on all platforms. You've been listening to Believe in Padres Prospects on the Believe Podcast Network, San Diego's number one sports podcast network. For Dustin, I'm Ryan. Uh, we'll welcome Wade back next week. See you guys then. Toward your destination Though you may find from time to time So firstly, I really don't have anything prepared for this conversation, so we're going to be winging it. Perfect. And then I want to talk to you about 1917 for at least five minutes. I'm game. <laughs> have you seen? You've seen it, I guess. Yeah. I don't want to know which angle you're taking. <laughs> Although usually when you're that excited to talk about something, I usually don't. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.